cutting the quarantine. I'll believe it when I'm across the border. I'll believe it when the agents let me in. Like, I'm not taking anything for granted. Relaxing the travel rules and why there's still a long road ahead. Churches reduced to rubble. It is very coincidental that they both went up around the same time of the morning. Suspicious fires destroy two places of worship in First Nations communities. And police officers surrounded. These are the types of incidents that we are seeing uh, more and more of, unfortunately. A spike in hostility and assaults on the front lines. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The federal government has announced the first step in a gradual easing of travel restrictions. As of July 5th, the quarantine requirement will be dramatically reduced, but only for some Canadians. Richard Zussman has the details. Closed border opening up a crack. For me, the first thing I thought about was what dates can I get back? It's a big relief. It, it kind of signals the beginning of the end, hopefully. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific on July 5th, the rules will change for fully vaccinated Canadians in the United States. They will need a negative PCR test within 72 hours of getting to the border and will need a test at the border and then quarantine until the result comes back negative. The proof of full vaccination will have to be uploaded into the Arrive Can app. And we're confident that we'll be able to um, identify and verify vaccine certification for fully vaccinated Canadians and those who are exempt from, from, from these restrictions. For those travellers, it will mean no more 14-day quarantine and no more negative tests at eight days. What's kept me out of the country until now, just because... I couldn't really honestly afford to get an Airbnb or a hotel for the two-week quarantine period. I was really yeah. encouraged when, when my son got Pfizer up in BC. Sean and I Trevor misspelled her brothers and business partners. Trevor's a Canadian living in Oregon. Sean lives in Kelowna. The changes mean Trevor can head home in July. I've been itching to like do something with that fully vaccinated status other than go to the grocery store you know <laughs> one major issue is traveling with kids under 12 who can't be vaccinated they must quarantine for 14 days after arriving in canada although the double vaccinated parents can go in and out of the quarantine house or room we're seeing that kids are really posing such a low risk um and like a poor little baby can't even come and meet its grandparents and has to be subject to quarantine the united states may look close but for many it's a long ways away the airline and business community wants the government to provide clarity on exactly when recreational travel will be allowed although other experts say the slow approach is the right approach what i think we've learned over the last 18 months or so is that there does need to be caution. And I think the government, therefore, you know, has to be um, commended for that. The goal now is to allow recreational travel both ways across the border once 75% of Canadians are fully vaccinated, something that could happen as early as mid to late July. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Some very good news when we take a look at our COVID-19 numbers since Friday, three counting periods, each under 100 cases a day. 
We have 229 new cases. That includes just 45 on Sunday. That's the lowest daily case count we've seen since August of last year. Total cases for the province, 147,131, with just over 1,200 of those cases currently active. There are 108 people in hospital, 47 of them in the ICU. And sadly, we did lose three more people to complications of the virus. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. First off, congratulations, Keith, on your second vaccination yes. today. Uh, I know a lot of people are getting prompted to book. I got my uh, notification mm -hmm. over the weekend. So where are we when it comes to supply? You know, we begin the week always a little nervous because we go through our supply over the weekend. Pfizer doesn't come in until early this week or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And Moderna has been inconsistent. But right now, if you're going to get vaccinated, first or second dose, you have a better chance of getting the Moderna vaccine right now than you do of Pfizer. Here's why. Here's the supply as of Sunday night. 400,000 uh, Moderna doses arrived over the weekend, which is great news. Pfizer down to 77,000. We should get about 325,000 more Pfizer doses uh, sometime this week, probably two Tuesday or Wednesday. AstraZeneca remains stuck at 92,000. So Moderna, uh, Pfizer, interchangeable. Don't worry if, if you had Pfizer as a first dose and you get offered Moderna, which will happen in many cases this week, don't be alarmed. They are interchangeable and perfectly safe. All right. Those are interchangeable. What about AstraZeneca? Because, of course, last week we got that recommendation from the Federal mm -hmm. uh, Advisory Committee to those who received AstraZeneca for the first shot that they should mix and match with an mRNA for their mm -hmm. second. So B.C. Uh, didn't change its guidance, but there was no. still an impact here. Oh, a huge impact. This is actually quite stunning when I show you the numbers here. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry says it's perfectly fine to get a second dose of AstraZeneca. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what people in the UK are doing. That She's basing her recommendation on real uh, live, real world data, unlike what uh, NASI seems to be doing. But here's what's happened to AstraZeneca. Take a look at this. So we've been averaging about five, 6,000 cases a day last week. Look what happened after NASI changed its recommendation from five or 6,000 a day to less than 500 a day. Day. That's a huge drop off. It now raises questions. What are we going to do with those 90,000 plus AstraZeneca vaccines if they're not going to be used at some point, presumably because there's an expiry date on them? I'm not sure what the future of them are. If we continue to just have four, three, 400 people a day uh, getting AstraZeneca, it does raise questions about that supply. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks for that, Keith. There were huge lineups at the vaccination center at the Vancouver Trade and Convention Center today. People were lined up around the building and down the street. And as you can see, all the way to the waterfront ramps wrapping around the building. Hundreds of people forced to wait in the hot sun. Some told Global News for more than an hour past their allotted time. Those trying to get a vaccine say they were told the delay was due to an increase in demand and computer issues. Global News has reached out to Vancouver Coastal Health but has not heard back. First Nations communities in Canada and the U.S. partnered up today for a cross-border vaccination clinic. The land crossing reopened for a short time to allow Indigenous and non-Indigenous alike to get their shots in Idaho. Catherine Urquhart reports. I'll get you to take that if you wouldn't. And fill it up. With pre-registration paperwork in hand, one person after another checks in with staff at the Lower Kootenai Band in Creston. They're about to take a highly unusual cross-border trip. It just feels like a really good opportunity to be able to, um, to get the second dose. And this is a great thing that they're doing for the community. I really appreciate it. Two First Nations, one in Canada, the other in the U.S., have organized a free drive-through vaccination clinic. 
The Lower Kootenai Indian Band and the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho partnered with Canada Border Services Agency to make it happen. I got speaking with the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho Chairman uh, Gary Aiken Jr. about the possibility of having a vaccine clinic uh, of our own. Uh, there indeed was uh, some excess vaccine through the state of Idaho. About two months after those discussions first began, those wishing to get vaccinated are boarded onto buses. Within minutes, they're across the U.S. border, where nurses from the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho also board the buses. They give everyone a jab, and following a 15-minute observation period, it's back to Canada. It's really awesome that the Lower Kootenai Band is doing this in collaboration with the Idaho Band. It's, it's incredible to see, and it's, it's really... It's great, great work being done here. The cross-border vaccination event happens on National Indigenous Peoples Day. We chose this day um, and I wanted it to, to represent healing. It appeared that the, the province has had some setbacks with the vaccine rollout and we just wanted to do our part in, in helping out. In total, 160 people were vaccinated, some Indigenous and many non-Indigenous. The event, clearly a success and very much appreciated by those who took part. I think it's a, an amazing thing for, for them to take on and um, how grateful we are that they are part, you know, opening it up to the full community. They're our true blessing for our community to help us out in this way. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Two Catholic churches have been destroyed in overnight fires in the Okanagan. Both churches in First Nations communities. What the bands and RCMP are saying about the fires next on the News Hour. Still to come on the News Hour, increasing animosity toward the VPD and how it's left some members recovering from injury. Plus, Everest times three. One man's unbelievable accomplishment on the North Shore Mountains later. Right now, though, fire has destroyed two Catholic churches in the Okanagan, both in First Nations communities. As Shelby Tom reports, both fires happened overnight and are being called suspicious. Bright orange flames illuminate the night sky. As Sacred Heart Catholic Church, built over 100 years ago, burns to the ground just after 1 a.m. on the Penticton Indian Band Reserve. I've received calls from a lot of elders and community members that uh, are actually feeling sad that uh, the church uh, and all those memories are now gone. Less than two hours later, St. Gregory's Church on Asuyu's Indian Band land, 40 kilometers away, is also reduced to rubble in a destructive fire. All of our firefighters rush to protect area homes. We just wanted to keep that area secure, wet it down, uh, try and prevent any embers from maybe causing a brush fire. And as there were some homes in the nearby location, that was our main concern. The Catholic churches burn on National Indigenous Peoples Day and just weeks after the remains of 215 children were found buried in unmarked graves at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Indigenous children from across the South Okanagan attended that school. Some did not return. There's no doubt there's anger all across Canada because of the recent discovery of those 215 innocent children's graves. Uh, myself, I'm very angry, and uh, uh, it's a really bad 
dark part of Canadian history. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, who is also a member of the PIB, denounces the destruction of church property while calling on Canada to hold itself accountable for its legacy of colonialism, racism and denial. I want my grandchildren to grow up in a world that is absolutely tolerant, racially tolerant, and that genuinely respects uh, each other. As for the church infernos, police say both fires are suspicious and they're investigating if the fires were intentionally set. It's been an enormously devastating blow to our community. Mounties are asking any witnesses to contact authorities. Shelby Tom, Global News. As mentioned, today is National Indigenous Peoples Day, and this year's event is more about commemoration rather than celebration. With the discovery of unmarked children's graves at the former Kamloops Residential School, many are reflecting on what it means to be Indigenous in this country. Paul Johnson is live outside the art gallery in downtown Vancouver with more. Paul? Yes, yeah, Sophie, normally this is a day of celebration of the great First Nations cultures that we have in this country and their heritage. Obviously, with this news out of Kamloops, this has been a much more somber affair and a focus more on healing and reflection. Check out this gripping image from the mostly empty spaces at YVR, a procession of Musqueam First Nations people a reminder of who lived in this territory long before anyone dreamed of airports. All across Canada Monday, First Nations of every region did their part to mark Indigenous Peoples Day. In Western Canada, and in particular here in BC, this year it's overshadowed by the news from Kamloops, reaffirming the need for non-Indigenous Canadians to not just recognize and celebrate, but to listen and learn. People have to know what happened to us. They have to hear our story to understand us as First Nations. Stories, which are the connecting threads of all people in all times. On this Indigenous Peoples Day, the stories are dark and hard to face. But if you survived Canada's residential schools, wouldn't you want your story to be heard? A lot of us were physically and sexually abused. My brothers were. Most of them are gone. Even my friends. They couldn't handle it, so they kept on drinking until they were gone. I really missed them lots. So on this day, we put special emphasis on listening to Indigenous people. And what are they saying? Well, I'll tell you, we had a moment here just a while ago. Uh, a man came up to us and wanted to share his thoughts. He's of Métis and Cree descent. And he said, in as much as the Catholic Church was involved in a lot of the residential schools, he says appropriate reconciliation would be for the Catholic Church to donate its main cathedral here in Vancouver, Holy Rosary Cathedral, to First Nations people to become an educational center about the history of residential schools and the story of First Nations people. No doubt a lot of people might say that's outrageous, but a lot of people will also say they would think that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. That's a viewpoint from here. All right, thanks for that. Paul Johnson at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Just ahead, finally facing justice. Sentencing begins for the man convicted in a shocking death outside of Vancouver Costco. 
And later spending on the rise. Canadians ready to blow their COVID savings. Vancouver police say an incident at English Bay on Friday is just the latest example of a disturbing increase in violence targeting officers on the job. The force says over just the past four weeks, there have been 21 incidents of assault against police, some of which resulted in injuries. John Hua reports. The video captures Vancouver police responding to reports of a large brawl at English Bay on Friday night. As two officers struggle to hold a young black man already in handcuffs, an upset crowd armed with phone cameras forms around them, and the situation quickly escalates. There are officers approached him, uh, spoke to him and asked him to leave the area. He became uh, very belligerent, began uh, causing a disturbance. Police say bystanders pointed the man out as the aggressor in the fight. Other witnesses claim it was racial profiling. Right or wrong, one criminal lawyer says never resist an arrest. If the arrest is wrongful, you can challenge it. Don't challenge it on the street. Even more concerning for Hira, the young Caucasian man holding the camera, who had every right to record but can be seen doing much more. His actions were obstructive. You're entitled to take videos, but you're not entitled to be in the space of a police officer trying to do his or her job. Vancouver police say hostility officers are experiencing on the front lines have become a regular occurrence. In the past five years, assaults against police officers have gone up 47%. In just the past four weeks, VPD members have been assaulted 21 times. Members are being spat at, they're being punched, they're being kicked. A growing distrust in police is no doubt being fueled by questionable actions of the department. Like the detainment of Maxwell Johnson and his granddaughter, suspected of fraud when they tried to open a bank account. Or the handcuffing of former BC Supreme Court Judge Selwyn Romilly, mistaken for a violent suspect while walking on the seawall. When they misbehave, they should be disciplined. And there are now robust mechanisms to make police accountable. That could be going to the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner or filing a civil lawsuit, not escalating the situation as seen in this video. Vancouver police say a 20-year-old North Vancouver man has been released while evidence is being gathered for Crown consideration. Charges against other individuals are still being investigated. John Hua, Global News. A sentencing hearing is now finally underway for the man convicted of manslaughter in the death of an 86-year-old man outside of Vancouver, Costco in 2017. Thomas Stephen Toth was supposed to be sentenced back in March, but he disappeared and was the subject of a Canada-wide warrant. Rumina Dea has the details. 86-year-old Orlando Ocampo, a Vietnam War veteran, survived the attack outside the Costco store in Vancouver in December 2017. The senior fought for his life, but died in hospital weeks later. His neck broken after he was pushed from behind in an intentional violent attack. Not a mere accident, said Crown. Jeremy Hermanson asking for an 18 to 24 month jail sentence for the accused. A jury found 60-year-old 
Thomas Stephen Toth guilty of manslaughter in December 2020. After a dispute inside Costco, the victim pepper sprayed the accused and his daughter outside the store. Crown said Ocampo then moved away roughly six to eight meters. But Toth, described as a foot taller, outweighing Ocampo by 70 pounds, pushed the senior with two hands. Ocampo hit his head on the ground. During the trial, Toth's daughter testified her father went into, quote, beast mode when she told him she had been pepper sprayed. The jury rejected the theory of self-defense. Toth was supposed to be sentenced in March, but he breached bail and never showed up in court. A Canada-wide warrant was issued. Two and a half months later, Toth was arrested by Vancouver police in May, an aggravating factor, says Crown, which caused additional stress to the victim's family. Ocampo's family too emotional to read their victim impact statements. On their behalf, Crown described their crushing grief and the impact on generations of the Ocampo family. The accused crying uncontrollably in the prisoner's box, grabbing tissue after tissue. As a result, the judge agreed to stand down for the day. Defense is expected to ask for a jail sentence in the range of 12 to 15 months. The sentencing hearing continues Tuesday morning. Romina Dea, Global News. Up next, Shopify frustration. They won't stand by you. I mean, I would have thought I was their client too. How one man learned the hard way the customer isn't always right. Plus... The little boy with a big voice and how he's using his talents to heal. Traffic is nice and steady here this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just minor delays for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Online shopping has spiked significantly during the pandemic, and a Canadian company has benefited greatly from that. Shopify allows businesses to set up an online store on its platform to sell products. But it seems that's where Shopify's responsibility ends, and consumers who don't get their goods may be out of luck. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more. And Thanks, Sophie. Many of us have likely use Shopify when shopping online, or you may have used this mobile app called Shop. Some consumers may assume the e-commerce platform operates like an online marketplace, but as one man found out, that's not the case. Keith Morgan was surfing on social media when an ad caught his attention, a pair of shoes that would surely please his grandson. I saw this uh, um, goofy pair of uh, shoes come slippers, and my grandson loves my stupid shoes. Keith was sold and clicked the link to the Super Air Shoe site. When it came time to check out, he says he was offered the Shop app option, a consumer app powered by Shopify, a Canadian e-commerce platform for online stores. The Shop app is intended to help consumers pay for goods and track their packages from Shopify merchants. So I went through the process and got a confirmation order and then you know, got waited for the tracking number and waited and waited and waited. Keith's credit card was charged, but he never got a tracking number for his purchase. He reached out repeatedly to the Super Air Shoes company, but never got a response. That's when I started to do the research and how foolish did I feel. 
because I realized that this was not what it seemed to be. Keith contacted Shopify about the non-delivery. The company stated in a letter to him that Shopify is not a marketplace like Amazon or eBay, but rather a software platform that enables people to run an online business and that it cannot interfere with the day-to-day operations of any store or force refunds. They won't stand by you. I mean, I would have thought I was their client too. Retail analyst David Ian Gray says the fact Shopify says it's not a marketplace can be confusing for consumers. From the point of view of uh, Shopify and their responsibility, they're, they're playing the card right now that they are just a platform. I think moving forward, uh, that that's not enough and that's going to be risky for them in the court of public opinion. They may not be able to vet every vendor, but they absolutely should be... Uh, you know, trying to help the public shop better. Shopify told Consumer Matters the company has multiple teams who handle potential violations of Shopify's acceptable use policy, which clearly outlines the activities not permitted on Shopify's platform. So I'm just looking at the pages that, I, you know, Still, Keith is left fighting to get his money back on his own, now pursuing a chargeback with his credit card company. It's the old buyer beware, isn't it? I did really like those shoes. Now, Shopify also told us that based on its investigation, it's taken Super Air Shoes offline. We also reached out to Super Air Shoes, but its contact email bounced back to us. Again, when it comes to online shopping, shop with retailers you know and trust. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Overall savings have increased and consumer debt levels have decreased as Canadians cut back on spending during the pandemic. So now as businesses start opening up again, spending is also on the rise. Global's Anne Gaviola has more on how you and your family can budget better for the new normal. The pandemic has had an uneven impact on household finances. But even though many are hurting financially, the majority of families are emerging in better financial shape. According to Statistics Canada, we're sitting on more than $200 billion of savings, a record. Consumer credit card balances have declined and credit scores are up, according to Equifax Canada. But credit card spending is making its way back to normal levels. New wardrobe as well. We've been stuck in the house. We don't have summer clothes, so we're buying glasses, sunglasses today and other things uh, that are on our list. People have put money into just like different things as well, like maybe music equipment or maybe because you have so much time on your own or time to focus on some different aspects of your life. You live once. You cannot plan. Even I used my credit card, I don't care, but uh, because what we went through is we, we deserve it. Personal finance expert Melissa Leong says it's important to take stock of changes. Last week I sat down and I wrote out all the things that I thought, uh, all the expenses that were going to come back, like childcare, entertainment, um, hockey, and swimming lessons for the kids. If you saved more during the pandemic, Leong recommends maintaining that habit as much as you can. Get into the habit of putting some money away for future spending, whether that's in a separate savings account, a jar, an envelope, whatever it is. See if your bank has some programs that will maybe round up your purchases to the next dollar or next five dollars. Anything to help you save. Millennial money coach Parween Mander suggests automating savings and pacing your purchases to avoid impulse buying. What I recommend doing is actually listing out which activities you're most excited to go back to doing first. Maybe it is hitting up your local mall or going to the movies with your family 
put that in a ranking order and then select at least one of those activities to do either per weekend or per week so that you can stay on track. There's an opportunity to build on positive financial momentum created during the pandemic. It might be a good time to stop and set some new financial goals going forward so you have some bigger picture things in mind as you are spending in the new normal. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, Canadians with cystic fibrosis and their families are celebrating a major milestone. Health Canada has approved a new life-saving drug. Global Suling Go has the details. This was shortly after Sydney and Logan Grono found out the drug they need to treat their cystic fibrosis was approved by Health Canada. This is literally what every parent dreams of for their kids when they're diagnosed with a fatal disease. CF attacks the lungs and digestive system. Some patients need lung transplants. Many don't make it past their 40s. For these Stony Plain siblings, Trikafta is a lifeline. Some people compare it to insulin for a diabetic. The drug was approved in the U.S. in 2019. Canadians have had a frustrating wait ever since. We are just over the moon, but I'm... I'm still holding it all in because Health Canada approved it. We need the province now to get it. Trikafta must now be reviewed by the Canadian Agency for Drugs and Technologies in Health. Then each province decides whether to publicly fund it or not. Out of pocket, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. In a statement to Global News, Alberta Health wrote, In recognition of Albertans' desire for access to this drug, Alberta is taking steps to streamline its listing processes. I'm very happy when we can all, as all provinces, provide this medication to everybody who has CF throughout, throughout Canada. Health Minister Tyler Shandro's team has been working with CF advocates, including Sandy Stevens. She says the meetings have been positive, giving her and her 15-year-old Laura hope. This is the first time my daughter has ever said she has, she has a goal in her future. Before, she was like, no, Mom, I might not live. Sydney and Logan's mother says she now feels more free to imagine a future with her kids. I took a million pictures a day and I just never wanted to forget anything. I, oh yeah, <laughs> so this is a miracle. Sulingo, Global News. Well, they have become a symbol of the tragedy of residential schools. Just ahead, how one woman is putting all of those shoes to good use. Plus, three days in the saddle and 27,000 meters. How he's taking the Everesting challenge to the extreme. The discovery of children's remains at the Kamloops Residential School prompted an outpouring of grief, with thousands of people leaving toys and shoes at makeshift memorials. Kylie Stanton has the story of a Victoria woman finding a way to give back through the pain. That really caught me off guard. In a sea of notes, toys, and of course, children's shoes. Wow. It was this coin that took Luann Neal's breath away. Several elders have told me when, when your loved ones who have passed away make themselves known that they're still around you, and the way they do that is they leave a dime. The timing is especially significant as survivors try to come to terms with the heart-wrenching discovery of 215 children buried on the grounds of a formal BC residential school. You start to rethink, when I was there, did I notice any children go missing? It, it makes you question your whole childhood, really. 
As part of the healing process, Neil helped organize a vigil. Those in attendance all came bearing gifts, roughly 600 people in total, where once again, larger forces were at play. There ended up being exactly 215 pairs of shoes. I was in awe. The question then became what to do with them. I asked every person after they placed it, would you mind if I made sure these got out to children who need them? Neil used her connections, reaching out to parents in the community, asking them to spread the word through social media. So far, more than 75 pairs of shoes have been given away to First Nations children in need, along with countless stuffed animals, each item blessed with a kwakwakiwak, four-day cleansing ritual. So what I did was the cedar brushing on every single item, and I sang children's songs. The remaining items were taken here to the St. Andrew's Cathedral during a Sunday Mass. And we are placing it on the steps of the Catholic Church. This was a way of starting the difficult conversations. I think that's the start of really educating the public. I hope that you can finally rest in peace. Now the notes, toys and shoes continue to accumulate here on the steps of the legislature, where they will remain until at least Canada Day before being donated. They're perfectly good toys and perfectly good shoes. We want them to go to good homes. And finding a good omen in the process? Well, sometimes that's all it takes to keep moving forward. Hela Kessler, thank you for this wonderful sign. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at our weather forecast. It's beautiful, Christy, but so hot right now. Mm -hmm. So hot because of that humidity and we're really seeing a strong heat wave right now and it's here to stay. Today's the first full day of summer, Sophie, but it feels more like the middle of summer. Let's be honest. I'm going to show you the records. We had 15 of them today. We broke some yesterday also, but quickly, I just want to let you know that today is a show your stripes day. Yes, these are the stripes, the warming stripes for BC from 1901 to 2020. 2020 being one of the top warmest uh, years on record. This is looking at BC specific. So there you go, everyone. The climate continues to change and you can feel the heat. That's for sure right now. So Lillooet 36.2, Summerland, Vernon 33, Agassiz 32.5. Some more records here for you. Oh, did we miss it? Sorry, you guys. Uh, I'll Maybe you can, nah, never mind. We broke the other ones in through uh, pit meadows as well as white rocks. So a number of records today. Now, the big exceptional thing, though, is the humidity. So these are the uh, numbers. On the left is the regular temperature, but on the right is what it feels like. And then when we increase that by a good five degrees, that is exceptional. And we're, we're going to see this again tomorrow as well. And then the big concern is into the weekend when the temperatures soar even further. We're talking about high 30s in through the Fraser Valley, East Metro Vancouver, and that's the case in through the interior region. So this is the kind of heat that's quite dangerous. Check on your neighbors, check on your family members, anyone who may be having a hard time getting out of that heat. And it's not only the heat during the day that's a concern, is when we get overnight lows not dropping down below sort of 17, 16, 17 degrees, we don't get that reprieve from the heat. And that's the time when we have a concern. And we can see that here in the Metro Vancouver seven day forecast, we could be seeing overnight lows in that 19, 20 degree mark, which is very exceptional for this time of year. Uh, keep in mind, UV index is a high, so drink your water, wear your sunscreen tomorrow. Passing it back to you guys now. All right, thanks, Christy. A Vancouver cyclist is testing the limits of his endurance by riding up the equivalent of Mount Everest three times in one push on the North Shore Mountains. To see exactly how far I can go, um, see what I'm capable of. 
Tyrone Siglow set out over the weekend for a ride he expects will take about 72 hours to complete. He's already climbed 8,849 meters on each of the roads up both Mount Seymour and Grouse, and he's now knocking off the vertical on Cypress. He's almost done. I think he's on his last lap right now. Siglos isn't raising money for any cause. He says he just wanted to see if he could do it, and he's been overwhelmed by the support he's receiving. Being out here and doing something to this kind of scope, it's, it's brought people out from all sorts of all sorts of spectrums. You get the, the regular commuters, the, the hardcore cyclists, all of them and everything in, in between have come out to, uh, to ride a lap or cheer me on, um, bring snacks or food. Siglo says more than anything else, the heat of the past few days has slowed him down. Uh, by the way, that's 10 times up Seymour, 74 times up Grouse, 74 times up Grouse, and 14 times up Cyprus. Pretty much nonstop. He's had about four hours of sleep. <laughs> that's incredible. That's crazy. I know. Good for him, though. <laughs> and There's two things I can't imagine myself as. A tall person... <laughs> And, and as an endurance athlete, those people are all incredible. Speaking and of. Speaking of which, uh, because of COVID, um, Canada's Tyler Mislachuk mainly trained but didn't really get to race until recently. He's a triathlete when he won in Mexico. Training isn't necessarily racing, so to get it done when it matters most is a different thing. Yeah, he won the World Triathlon Cup. We'll talk to him. He says he is ready for Tokyo. Also ahead, the powerful voice spreading a musical message of healing later. All right, Squire, over to you. Thank you very much, Sophie. Uh, the Whitecaps lost on Friday 3-1 against Salt Lake. That's their fourth loss in a row. Uh, Wednesday, they're going to play the Galaxy and then Saturday, Seattle. So the schedule is condensed right now. It's not easy, but the Whitecaps do have a lot of young players with lots of energy, you would think. But... Not a lot of experience. And while that sounds great for the future, the head coach sounds like he would prefer some more veterans right now. There's a mentality of development. There's a mentality of giving opportunity to young players and make young players grow. But with that comes a lot of difficulty. You know, you feel it at times. And, and I think that's something that we have to also evaluate uh, as a club moving forward. Give it up for Denmark. They lose Christian Eriksen, their top midfielder, in the scariest way possible in the opening game of Euro 2020. And today they got themselves into the knockout stage by beating Russia 4-1. to Great shot here by Andreas Christensen. The fans going crazy as Denmark moves on. Other scores today, Netherlands qualifies for the knockout stage, as does Austria and Belgium, the number one ranked team in the world. Uh, lightning coming down the tunnel for game five against the Islanders, and everything's bouncing Tampa Bay's way. Steven Stamkos, right place, right time, goal. And then Yanni Gord tries the pass, but this one goes in off Andy Green. 
5-0 in the second period. Looks like the Lightning will be up 3-2 by the time this game is over. Okay, sad news from the NHL. Former Vancouver Canucks defenseman and Minnesota Wild assistant GM Tom Curvers died at the age of 58 from lung cancer, and he never smoked. He uh, won the Hobie Baker Award as a top U.S. collegiate player in 1984, played for seven different NHL teams, including Montreal, where he won a cup in 86, also played for Toronto, and as we mentioned, Vancouver in the 90-91 season. Curvers wore number 24 with the Canucks. He played 38 games regular season and playoffs and was very effective. He had 31 points in those 38 games before moving on to play with the New York Islanders. Tyler Mislachuk is the best Canadian male triathlete heading into next month's Olympics. And he was, or he has, I should say, a very Canadian story of how he got into this sport. He was actually a hockey player who took up triathlon as a way to stay in shape during the summer. He obviously discovered the right sport for him and it has led up to the Olympics. And his lead up to the Olympics has also been as good as possible. For a guy who hasn't raced much the last two years, Canada's Tyler Mislachuk's final race before the Olympics was about as perfect as it gets. Mislachuk delivering a strong swim, exiting the water with the front group, and staying up front the entire race to win the World Triathlon Cup in Huatulco, Mexico. Nah. Massive, uh, a little bit of a weight off the shoulders in in some senses. Uh, maybe just for myself, mostly because I, I had just only raced twice in the last 20 months. So almost just trying to prove to myself that you know I'd worked so hard and trained so hard, but training isn't necessarily racing. So to get it done when it matters most is a different thing. And to do that is kind of a little bit of a weight off the shoulders with six weeks to go to the Olympics. Uh, yeah, it's got to got to make you feel pretty good to win a big race like that this close to the games. There's no question Mislachuk is a strong medal contender in Tokyo next month. Winning in Mexico and contending at the Olympics, a gold medal achievement in itself due to Tyler's nomadic lifestyle. The guy's basically been living out of a suitcase for almost two years now as he chases down that Olympic dream. I had this conversation all the time, but I'm 26, turning 27 this year, but... Basically, since I've been 20, I did two years diversity and stopped and pursued the Olympics. I haven't lived a normal life. Uh, you know, I've seen people move on with their life, you know, get girlfriends, wives, start having kids. I'm kind of at that point when all my high school buddies are, are getting married soon. I just got a wedding invitation yesterday. Um, you know, people's people's life changes. And for me, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I love it, but uh, it's definitely not an easy lifestyle. For the time being, it's a rewarding lifestyle. He won in Mexico for the second time and heads into Tokyo with winning memories there too. Back in 2019, Tyler became the first Canadian triathlete ever to win the Olympic test event in Tokyo. Exact same circuit as the one I went in, uh, won in 2019, which was the Olympic test event. So obviously I had a lot of confidence coming off of that with the same heat conditions, same humidity, same course that if I did it once, why can't I do it again? Jay Janower, Global Sports. There you go. All right. Good luck to him. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the 11-year-old boy who formed a band with his grandmother. How they're gaining popularity next. A grandmother and grandson duo are hoping to bring healing to people through drumming and singing. As Global Sarah Comedina reports, the pair have been performing together for years in front of crowds numbering just a few to thousands. I've been knocking on 
At just 11 years old, Noah Green is a little shy to talk on camera. But when he starts singing, his confidence shines through. I'm not shy when I sing, but it's it makes me happy when I sing it like for people. And it like makes them happy. His grandma Carol Powder says she discovered his voice when he was just a baby. He was laying with me on the bed and I was singing a song and he started humming that same tune. And I'm like looking at him like is that for real? It was real, and from there she nurtured his talent, and now the pair drums and sings together in their band Chubby Cree. They've performed at hundreds of events over the years, Noah becoming known for his roar. People come up to us and they talk to us and stuff, and like they, they recognize us from like the TVs. They've walked alongside the Bear Clan Patrol, performed at awareness rallies for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and now for the hundreds of children found in unmarked burial sites on former residential school grounds. One of the biggest crowds was at the climate rally in 2019. Makes me happy to know that he can actually affect people that way and happy to know that I taught him this. It's a moving experience, not just for Noah and Carol, but for those hearing their musical message. Sometimes like um, when we sing our songs, like some people cry. Every time we sing, it, like I feel healing. Sarah Comedina, Global News. Wow, it's hard to believe he's only 11. It's a prodigy. No kidding. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, we're going to close things off with a beautiful picture from Christy. That's right, our center window's weather window for today, and this is a little raccoon in the backyard, in Mark's backyard in Sandwichton, <laughs> obviously uh, having a hard time with the heat. Yeah. <laughs> Needs a drink. Trying to find some shade. All yeah. right, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for joining us, and have a good night, everyone.